This is Cinnamon Rain. I'm here with Jean Swanson, an anti-poverty and housing activist. Jean is the coordinator of Carnegie Community Action Project in Vancouver, British Columbia. She founded the group End Legislated Poverty and previously chaired the National Anti-Poverty Organization. We have Jean here in the studio with us today. Hello, Jean. Hi. So we're here today, um, and we're going to be talking about housing and poverty and homelessness. Uh, what are you focused on right now? Well, I'm kind of working with two groups. One is the Carnegie Action Project, and we work on getting more and better housing and uh, stopping gentrification, and also raise the rates. And we mostly are working on getting higher welfare rates. And what are some of the actions that you're, the Carnegie Project are? Well, we're always on the housing case, right? We do an annual housing report about the SROs and the housing in the downtown east side and how gentrification is pushing out low-income people. And we do actions around, right now we have this campaign, which is broader than just the action project. It's called Our Homes Can't Wait. We're trying to get... Um, 100% welfare rate housing on nine city-owned lots in the downtown east side. Um, we're trying to get the city to preserve and improve the SROs until social housing is built and there's no homelessness. And we're trying to get rent freeze. And we're trying to get one particular site, 58 West Hastings, for 100% welfare rate housing. And we're making maybe a little bit of progress on that. I don't know. It's dicey. And then with Razor Rates, we also have a great art project that's going to be coming out this month where we've got uh, 10 billboards. We're trying to make poverty an election issue for the election in May, the provincial election. So we've got 10 billboards about poverty, and uh, we're making the billboards or work kind of the billboards, we're changing the billboards a little bit to make them more political into posters. We're going to have cards that people can send to the MLA's buttons. We're going to have a website with a pledge for people to uh, sign up to uh, tell their candidates to vote against poverty. And yeah, so we're pretty busy this month. It sounds like a big kick- kickoff for two of your <laughs> your organizations yeah. there. So um, if we can get back to the housing and what you're doing regarding that, are you going to the Vancouver Ca- Council, the municipal government? How How is this organization um, addressing it with their politicians? Well, our homes can't wait. Uh, we started with a couple of town halls in the downtown east side in January. They were packed. People are really upset about the lack of housing and the and the terrible quality of housing in the downtown east side. And out of those town halls, we got some draft demands, and we kind of finessed them in a whole bunch of committee meetings afterwards. And then we went around to just about all the groups in the downtown east side who have now endorsed them. And uh, so we kind of tried to develop our demands from the ground up, and we involved uh, people from the African descent community and um, Chinese-speaking people, too. So that was a first for us for a few years. So that's 
worked good. So we did that. We started out with a fake development permit sign at 58 West Hastings, which put our vision of what we wanted there. And then we had a paint-in at 58 West Hastings where we painted all over the wall in the building next to it what we wanted there and ate Chinese steam buns and bannock. We had probably 100 people there, and the painting is still there. And then uh, Van Du, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, organized a housing march on July 9th, and we all marched to 58 West Hastings and set up a tent city. And then a few days after that, we kind of barged into City Hall, and they locked us out. But we were chanting, <laughs> homes now, homes now. And so the media all came out of the council meeting, and the mayor finally agreed to meet with us, and he met with us and agreed to come downtown. So a couple of weeks later, he came downtown, and we got him to sign this commitment to go to rezoning at 58 West Hastings for 100% welfare rate housing community controlled. So since then, we've been meeting with the city every couple of weeks. We have a committee that's meeting with them, and and they've come up with a partner that says that they'll raise $30 million, but we're worried about whether their vision is the same as our vision, and we still need 30 more, 25 or 35 million more dollars from the province so it's not a sure thing yet so we're working on that anyway that's how we're working on that yeah you were talking about um the housing and the inadequacy of housing and mm-hmm. and I, I understand that so many people are paying between 30 and 60 percent of their household income or more depending if you're on income assistance yeah. to this inadequate housing mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, what does the government need to do or should do? So there's two things about homelessness that I think make ending it a no-brainer. One is the life expectancy of homeless people is about half of what it is of housed people. And the second is that there have been all kinds of studies paid for by government that say that it's cheaper to end homelessness than to keep people in the streets. So I think those are just the two facts that should make everyone rush out and vote for politicians that will actually end homelessness. Can I tell you what I did today? It was so awful. I actually ended up in tears for about 15 minutes, and I never do that. I'm quite hardened sometimes. Anyway, the Union Gospel Mission held, held a news conference today to release a report that talks about how awful the homelessness situation is and how it's getting worse. And so I thought, oh, I'll go to their news conference. And while I was, their news conference was just starting and I got a call from a, a friend who was at Oppenheimer Park and he said, the cops are here tearing down the tents. There's about 20 tents at Oppenheimer Park where people are living. So I went over there, skipped the news conference, and just started talking to people whose, <clears throat> whose tents were being ripped down. And it's just tragic. There were eight cops there. There were Um, a bunch of city workers the Carnegie Outreach team was there and the park rangers were there and they were driving trucks on the park and they were they had all these garbage bins and they were just ripping everything apart and throwing people's stuff away and they tried to talk to them and there was one guy I talked to he was maybe about 60 and he had pneumonia and he was coughing and uh they had 
outreach had offered him a shelter bed. They got some extra shelter beds at the Salvation Army. And he had a viewing at the Vernon Hotel if he wanted to go to that. But that's up to the landlord whether they want to accept him, right? Plus, he didn't have any money, so it would be a couple days before he got onto welfare. Plus, he didn't want to leave his stuff because he knew the city would take it. And he ended up just walking off. And I watched the city guys throw all his stuff into the garbage bin, including a black leather jacket. It was all, it was just tragic. And they, so they did this with everybody down there. In Homeless Action Week, this is Homeless Action Week. That was Homeless Action. So um, the city has some responsibility for homelessness. They're gentrifying places. Like in Vancouver, they're gentrifying the downtown east side. They're allowing big condo towers or market rentals, which push up property values, which push up taxes, which means that the SROs push up the rents, the SRO, single-room occupancy hotels. And uh, so when we did our study, we found the average rent in a privately owned and run SRO last year was $517 a month out of 610, right? You can't hardly, you can't really eat and pay the rent. So, and in Burnaby, for example, they've upzoned for 30-story towers, and all these uh, three-story apartment buildings are evicting families, mostly, who are low-income families, and they have no place to go. So, and then the city comes along and moves, spends, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, moving people along every day. They do it on Hastings Street. They move them into the alley between Hastings and Cordova. So all the carts are all lined up with tarps over them because the city has come along and taken them off of the the main street. So the city is spending tons of money (coughs) basically criminalizing homelessness. And by not watching what it does with zoning and planning, it's creating more homelessness. Um, They have done some good things. They've put aside 20 lots, but they changed the definition in Vancouver of social housing so that um, social housing isn't necessarily for people who are low income. Their definition of social housing is housing that's owned by the government or a nonprofit where one-third of the units rent at hills, which is a B.C. government term, which works out to be about nine sixty-five a month for a bachelor, which is more than a person on welfare gets entirely. So the city has a lot of work to do. And then there's the province. So the province is busily churning out more homelessness by uh, uh, not providing support for foster kids after they're 19, and most importantly, by not raising welfare rates. Welfare, 610 for a single person, it's too low to eat and live and rent a place. It's just too low. And as long as welfare rates are that low, homelessness is going to keep being churned out, and there's, I don't think anyone will be able to build enough housing for people if they don't have enough money to pay for it. So there's a desperate, desperate need to raise welfare rates. We're saying to 1500 a month, which is what the feds say is required for a minimal standard of living. It's the market basket measure. 
And we need rent control. Now, that's something the province could do that wouldn't cost a cent. And we desperately, desperately need it, or a rent freeze. So that's the province. Oh, the other thing is they're not spending very much on social housing. We need thousands of units a year, not hundreds. Uh, if you look at all the money they've put into housing and all the money that they've announced, it's it's going to add up to about maximum uh, about 200 units a year for Vancouver. So last year we had 1,100 new homeless people. So 200 units a year isn't going to make a dent in it. It's just going to keep increasing. And then there's the feds. They're talking about this infrastructure money, and the mayors have asked them for $12.6 billion over 10 years for housing, the big city mayors. But if you crunch those numbers, it boils down to maybe 100 units a year for Vancouver because it's over 10 years and it's over the whole country. And so if you added up what's available from the province and the feds, 300 units a year, with all the money that they've talked about, it's nothing. So, you know, all the levels of government need to you know, stop criminalizing. Cities need to keep putting up land. No rezoning of low-income areas unless you're protecting the low-income residents. And then we need higher, higher, way higher welfare rates and lots of money to be put into social housing. So we need about 10,000 units a year in B.C., and then in the long run, it's going to be cheaper for everybody because poverty is costing us 8 or $9 billion a year in the province, and ending it would only cost about $4 billion according to the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Sorry, that's a very long answer. That's lovely. Thank you so much. And uh, it explains a lot about the various levels of government and their responsibilities. Uh, I'm doing a Master's of Public Health and my question usually ends up coming down to is what are the health effects that we see? Well, the major one is the half the life expectancy, right? Um, none of the people that I talked to today that were being evicted from Oppenheimer Park tents were healthy. One guy had pneumonia and he was really skinny. He was coughing. Uh, the, a couple of other guys had just gotten out of jail and they were, oh, you could just tell that they weren't healthy by the way they were talking. And I mean, it's traumatic to live on the street. Every second you're worried that someone's going to attack you. There's no security. When um, some friends of mine occupied a, an apartment building in Burnaby last summer and uh, it was one of the buildings that where everyone had been evicted from it in order f to put in a high condo tower. And um, they opened it up to homeless people in Burnaby. And they had found a bucket of keys in the basement. So when the people, the homeless people, wanted a, a, an apartment, they actually gave them the keys. <laughs> Mind you, there was no electricity or water. But to just have the key, to be able to lock a door, it's huge, Right. To imagine what it be, would be like not to have that security. It's terrible. I don't know. I can't. I can't phantom what it would be like. It would be. I mean, it's terrible for health. 
what more can you say? There's supposed to be a rainstorm tonight, 50-plus millimeters of rain. That can't be good if you're outside. (laughs) These are big (coughs) issues and big questions that um, governments sounds like they need to address. Well, that would be my advice. (laughs) It's pretty frustrating that they're not, and it should be frustrating for taxpayers because taxpayers are having to pay the extra costs of keeping people on the street, as well as live with the realization, unless they're trying to push it out of their brain, that homelessness kills people at a very early age. So throughout your career, you have seen the changes in homelessness and housing. Mm -hmm. And what have been some of the changes from when you first started to now? So I'm 73, and when I was in my early 30s, I started working at the Downtown Eastside Residents Association in the Downtown Eastside, and we worked on getting improvements in the SROs, getting higher welfare rates, stopping the tax buyers, um, getting the Carnegie open as a community center. You know what we didn't work on? We didn't work on ending homelessness because there was hardly any. There was some. I'd say it was less than a tenth what it is now, just estimating, because we didn't do counts in those days. There was no homelessness. Why? Okay, welfare was high enough that you could eat and pay the rent. Uh, Governments were building thousands of units of social housing every year. There was one year where Vancouver alone had a 1,000 new units of social housing. And there was a high vacancy rate in the SROs, which you could rent at welfare rate. So it doesn't take a bunch of innovation. It doesn't take, you know, any particular big conference or anything. You just have to be able to provide people with enough money and make them housing, and people aren't homeless. It's pretty simple, really. And I can remember, actually, the first time I saw a squeegee person at uh, Main and Terminal was in 1995. So 1995 was two years after the feds abolished the National Housing Program, And it was one year before the feds abolished the Canada Assistance Plan, which uh, had national standards for welfare. And it was a program that required provinces to make welfare payments adequate to meet basic needs and have an appeal procedure and things like that. And it also, through the Canada Assistance Plan, the feds gave provinces half their money for welfare. So they ended that, and now... and. The provinces were anticipating that they'd end it in 1995. It was ended in 1996. But anyway, that's when it started that I can recall, 1995. It was a shock because I had only seen that before in the States and in Mexico. And here, austerity was here. So we, we have a model from our past that people could afford housing when they were on income assistance. Yeah. And there was lots of social housing being built in the past. And it's not, yeah, it's not rocket science. I mean, I'm 73. I could be accused of 
being one of those people, oh, the good old days, blah, blah. I mean, there was bad things about the good old days, I'm sure, but it wasn't. And welfare rates were too low then, but not, I mean, I think if welfare had the same purchasing power now as it had in 1980, it would be about 970. So it would be a lot more purchasing power, and, uh, yeah, people would be able to survive better. Certainly not high on the hog, but. So with all of this happening right now, like you've seen the history, you've seen what's going on now, and it's End Homelessness Month, um, what's next for you? Well, it's not really about me, is it? It's Mm -hmm. about what can people do together to um, get our governments, get the, well, with the provincial government, the NDP, has said nothing about welfare rates. The NDP has said nothing about how many units of social housing it'll build. And, of course, neither have the Liberals. And we've got to get them to come out with something, both parties, uh, before the provincial election in May. And that's what a lot of us are working on. So if we can tell our listeners one or two things that they could do to change the trajectory of what's happening now. Mm-hmm. So the immediate thing would be the provincial election. You know, pay attention to who your MLA is and who the MLA candidates are and hound them with uh, demands that they end homelessness and poverty because it can be done. That's what I, That's the thing that I would do between now and May. Other than that, get involved with groups like Our Homes Can't Wait, Raise the Rates. Yeah, <clears throat> get involved with people who are trying to make the change because we need all the help we can get. <laughs> We've had Jean Swanson in our studio today, anti-poverty and housing activist. To learn more about Jean's projects, visit Carnegie Community Action Project website as well as Raise the Rates. This has been Cinnamon Rain.